Hello and welcome to another edition of the Inquirer's Eagles podcast, Bird's Eye View podcast. We're uh, working with a depleted cast today, myself <laughs> and the indomitable E.J. Smith. How's it going? We're going to talk about uh, a sudden flurry of activity for the Eagles toward the end of this week. Uh, we've heard very little from them. Uh, nothing from Carson Wentz since his benching in December. And suddenly there was a Carson Wentz news conference in Indianapolis. And almost concurrently, a, an Eagles uh, news conference in Philadelphia with Howie Roseman and the new coach, Nick Sirianni. Uh, it was uh, dizzying for those of us <laughs> sitting around this offseason, kind of scratching for information on the Eagles and Wentz and what's going on and, and all that good stuff. Uh, EJ, what did you take from yesterday's uh, festivities? What stands out in your mind? Well, I think we finally got the clarity that I think we all, I think we all had a, an idea, but I think that we finally gotten the clarity that this was Carson Wentz's, you know, desire to be traded. It wasn't um, maybe as it just, it's, it's clearer now that this is something that he wanted Um and the Eagles, you know, obliged once they got a trade offer that they were happy with. I do think that it was a mutual decision, but um, I think that, you know, based off, if you read between the lines of what was said yesterday, it became a lot more clear. Um, so I think that was one of my biggest takeaways around the trade. Um, and then, you know, just hearing what Carson said, I'll let you touch on that because you were, you know, present for that. Well, you know, virtually present for that press conference while I was still on the Howie press conference. Um but yeah, I thought that that was also one of the most illuminating things. It was good to hear from these people. You know, we haven't heard from Carson in months. So, um, so yeah. Yeah, with the Carson, the thing that stuck out with me, not only did I think he want to leave, although he wouldn't really commit to that, uh, which was interesting, it, it was almost like a targeted departure for him. It was... He wanted to leave for this exact situation, mm-hmm. Apples. And if that situation hadn't presented itself, did I wonder if he would have been so keen to leave? Uh, I guess we'll never know. But that's something I hadn't given a whole lot of thought to. I, I thought of this more mainly Eagles terms. Uh, and yesterday, when he was talking about right, it kind of struck me that this was his impetus. You know. You have an 11-5 and five team that's in the playoffs and their quarterback retired and no successor there. And that's a great situation. If you're a quarterback who's dissatisfied and you're looking for, you know, a new opportunity, there it is. You know, there's no better opportunity in the league, really, um, that's open. <laughs> and uh, I, I kind of think he wanted – it's like if you're in a job and you suddenly a much better job opens up somewhere else and you decide, hey, that's where I belong. <laughs> you know, I hadn't really thought of it in that light before. Right. Uh, and and uh, you can, you know, if you're an Eagles fan, you can look at that a bunch of different ways. You can say he's just being pragmatic. You can say, you know, how dare you, uh, you know, think that you'd be better off somewhere else. Uh you know, you can parse that however you want, but I really think that was, I, I don't think it was so much about 
the Eagles. I mean, it was about the Eagles in that the Eagles aren't in a good place right Right, now. right. Uh, they're a bad team that hasn't drafted well lately. And if you're Carson Wentz, you're let's let's play out a little bit. What would have happened if he'd have stayed? Well, you know, he they both talked about these talks that they had at the end of the season, and I would guess that he was trying to get a sense from them. Okay, am I the established starter, or is it going to be? you know, me and Jalen competing and part of the locker room wants Jalen and part of the locker room wants me and the fan base is, you know, split. And, you know, I, I I can see why that was not appealing to him. And, you know, the people who say, Oh my God, he's not a competitor. Yeah. Well, maybe, I mean, I, I won't discount that, but I also think that it isn't an appealing situation as much as we like to extol competitiveness and all that stuff, you know, it's, that's a dicey road for him. I think uh, going forward on a team that isn't going to be very good. Right. I was just going to say, I mean, if you put yourself in his shoes, I mean, you know, he is in a, like a uniquely qualified position, you know, like most fans would agree that, you know, the Eagles front office has mismanaged a lot of the, the, the recent drafts and, you know, a lot of their recent free agency periods, you know, this team is, you know, old and expensive and it's, you know, it's a, it's regressing at an alarming rate. Um, and if you're him, you know that better than anybody. So I do think it's interesting that some fans will be frustrated that, you know, he might, he didn't want to be here anymore because of the same reasons that, <clears throat> that they're frustrated with the, with the organization as a whole. Um, yep. So if you put yourself in his shoes, it makes sense. You know, again, it's like, you're looking at Indianapolis with the coach that got the most out of you. You know, an eleven, like you said, an eleven and five team. That's a quarterback just retired, and your alternative is to come back to a team where you know your backup won a Super Bowl in twenty seventeen. You know, there was the controversy in twenty eighteen. You finally get out from under it in twenty nineteen, and then after you know you carry a depleted offense with practice squad wide receivers to the playoffs, get a concussion, and then they draft you know your you know your backup again. They draft the backup in the second round of the draft. Um, <clears throat> and don't get you enough help where you can succeed. You know, if you're looking at it from his perspective, I mean, all of these, I mean, most NFL quarterbacks, most NFL players have an insane level of confidence in themselves and their play. And when things go wrong, I'm sure a lot of them don't immediately look inward and say, I have to be better. They start to look around and say, well, if this guy was in this situation or, you know, if we had this guy, you know, I'd be playing much better than I am now. So I'm sure that, you know, you know, I think that there might be a fair criticism on how much accountability he was willing to take, but I'm, I don't doubt at all that, you know, he probably looked at the situation and said, if I was in a better situation, I'd be playing a lot better. Another thing that I've taken from this, EJ, from talking to people with the Eagles and, you know, stuff like that over the last few months, the seeds of what happened here were planted the night Nick Foles won the Super Bowl for the Eagles. You know, at, at the time, I mean, you're winning the Super Bowl, so everything's going to be painted as, you know, just the most wonderful thing ever. At the time, you know, you saw Carson and Nick together, and and they had a great relationship, and Carson was the guy who was 11-2 and two before he got hurt and was breaking records, and you thought there'll be, you know, this ought to work out that the – you know, Carson will take the reins back and, and 
everyone will live happily ever after. But I, I remember that night in Minneapolis, just watching this, thinking, has this ever happened before? A very young franchise quarterback watching his backup win the Super Bowl and not only win it, but win it playing spectacularly. Uh, it, it hasn't happened before. It, it might never happen again. And then the next year when he got hurt again and, and Nick took the team to the playoffs again uh, and won a game, although people tend to forget Nick didn't actually play well in that game. Right. Won, but nonetheless, they won. And I really think it started to build. It was sort of a drip, drip, drip thing. Uh, there's a statue that the Eagles had nothing to do with, with commissioning or anything, but there's a statue of Nick Foles outside the lake. You know, I mean, it's, it, I, I think the cracks started to appear then. And I think that informed his visceral reaction to the whole Hertz situation. He said yesterday that the drafting of Hertz wasn't, uh, you know, a big factor in his dissatisfaction, but I think it was. I, 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 at the time, I'm still amazed. A year later, I'm still amazed that they thought this was a thing to do after the going through the whole Foles thing and seeing how that sort of turned on Wentz and and what you know how important it was to to let Nick go. Uh, <laughs> so that Carson could have some breathing room and, and take control. They then put him right back into the, into the fire by drafting a quarterback in the second round. Uh, I, I do think, you know, all of this is of a piece and it all sort of cracked wide open last season uh, when he played poorly and the team was horrible. And, uh, there was no way suddenly there was no way back that, I think decisions, I think he, he and his agent made a decision, you know, this is enough of this. Nothing good has happened for us here really in quite a while. And it's, you know, it's just not going to work out. Right. And, and maybe and, this would be a good segue, but the, the thing that I always go back to with the Hertz pick, you know, all throughout the last season and in this off season is that the situation that they find themselves now and that they find themselves in now, it's not helped by the fact that they have hurts. I mean, like, because they drafted him to be a backup and now they're looking at a situation where they either have to go into next season and say, we're going to see what we have in this guy. We drafted him in the second round. You know, we have to see what we have in him or they're going to draft a quarterback in the first round. And then the pick was still wasted. So, I mean, like, you know, I think that the Eagles, you know, their philosophy around quarterbacks is, typically been you know you want to make sure you have the guy and you know you don't get those guys in the second or third round that often you know it's 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 much harder to find a franchise quarterback later in the draft you know the guys at the top of the draft even though the hit rate's not great there either you know that's where you're getting your best shots at it and you know i i don't think any of us would be i think we would all understand if they drafted somebody at six with uh you know but at the same time like it still was a bad idea to draft Jalen Hurts. I mean, it would be they'd be better off if they had Jeremy Chin at safety and a gaping hole at quarterback after Carson once had his. Um, and who knows if he even has a regression if, if they didn't draft Hurts. So 
I just, I still just yeah. harp back on that. It's like, it's, it wasn't, it's, it still isn't a good pick because you were wrong either way. We said that when they, when they made this, the, the draft pick that you'd either be wrong about Carson Wentz or you'd be wrong um, about Jalen Hurts being needed. So, I mean, it's yeah. just, it hasn't worked out. So the only way this, they come out looking good is if they don't draft a quarterback and Hertz turns out to be Russell Wilson. Right. And that's a possibility. And I know a lot of fans are really on the Hertz bandwagon. A lot of them are fans who took a dislike to Wentz and, you know, that's always the, the other guy is always the, the savior. Yeah. I, I, I'm not anti Hertz. I think he's a great young guy. I think he's a, an ext- extraordinarily good leader, Yeah, but, I didn't see, you know, any elite talent there and I'm not, and you know, we talked to a lot of people and I, there's no feeling around the league or even I think within the Eagles that, Hey, they've got the guy, you know, he, all they need to do is let him play. I mean, everybody's sort of willing to allow for that possibility. Right. But it's right. like an outside chance, you know. It's not, it's it's not uh, anything anybody wants to bank on. Um, and I really, I, despite that ESPN report, which looks weirder and weirder, by the way, as we go along, about Jeffrey Lurie uh, telling them to build around Hertz, that that kind of was denied, I think, yesterday. And I, you know, Chris Mortensen's a great reporter and. That came from somewhere. I mean, he didn't make it up. Uh, came from somewhere substantial. But I don't see why Lurie would do that. And I'm not – I don't believe that the Eagles are convinced that that's the route they want to go. I, you know, somebody posited on Twitter last night, you know, what if the first five goes this, 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 and this? I don't remember exactly how it was. Trevor Lawrence, Wilson – and uh, Chase and um, Pitts and, and, you know, and if that was the top five, if those guys were the top five, what would you do? And I said, Justin Fields. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I think that would be automatic. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it might have some, you know, it's going to be a tough call because they can't say going into the draft, we're definitely not going to draft right, a quarterback yeah. at six. Don't know. There, you know, maybe there won't. Maybe the decision will be made for them. Maybe Fields and Wilson, and you know, I don't know what they think about Trey Lance or you know any of the sort of second tier guys. But you just don't know that the quarterback isn't going to drop to you at six, and you. you that's going to be a heck of a decision to make on April 29th. It really is. And the whole direction of the franchise could change based on who gets drafted fifth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, no. it's a fun thing to think about. And I'm sure they're going to put a lot of hours into trying to figure out who's taking who in front of them uh, before that night. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like, which, which do you think is the smoke screen? Like, do you think that, you know, that the Mortensen report is, you know, them saying, please don't trade ahead of us to draft the quarterback we like the best. Or do you think that, you know, they're playing coy because it's please don't trade ahead of us to draft Kyle Pitts 
before we get a chance to get him or, you know, Jamar Chase before we get a chance to get him. So I agree. I mean, they're not just going to come out and say, <clears throat> you know, we're not going to, you know, we're, we're behind Hurts 100%. We're not, you know, going to draft a quarterback. I mean, they can say that after the draft um, if they don't draft one. Right. Um, so I do think that just knowing what we know about this organization, though, I mean, I think that if they fall in love with one of these guys, you know, if they – you know, there's talk that Justin Fields is going to run in the four threes. I mean, if he does something like that and they fall in love with him at his pro day, I mean, I I don't I find it hard to believe that they'd pass up on that. <clears throat> you know, Howie Roseman, every time he talks, I think he says that they want to be quarterback driven. Um, and I think that, you know, again, the same philosophy that brought them hurts, you know, the same idea that like you always want to have multiple options at a franchise quarterback. Yep. I think that that's the same philosophy that you would that would explain them drafting, you know, Fields or Zach Wilson or even Trey Lance, you know. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I If you had to make me choose right now, if you said, like, you have to predict, I would say they, I would say it's, they would end up with, with a quarterback at six. Um, whether I agree with it or not, I mean, that's beside the point. I think that just, again, reading between the lines of what this team prioritizes, it's hard to believe that they're not going to be, you know, at least doing a lot of homework. And I think when you do a lot of homework on, you know, a historically good quarterback class, it's hard to believe you're not going to go like walk away from that impressed with somebody. I talked a few weeks ago to an opposing general manager who had exactly that, you know, they all like study each other. You know, what is, what is this guy's footprint? What, what does this GM do typically? And that was what he said is that, you know, how he's going to draft yeah. a quarterback. Um. So we'll see. I, I, it's going to be a fascinating month or so until uh, five weeks or so until the draft. Um, Nick Sirianni was on the, the uh, Zoom yesterday from the Eagles, and he kind of got shoved aside <laughs> because of all. We haven't had many chances to talk to the new coach. He had that initial press conference that people were sort of unsettled by. He seemed nervous and uh you know, wasn't able to give very big, many answers to things. And he seemed young, I think, in that first news conference. Uh, yesterday was a different demeanor from him. Uh, what did you take from Nick Sirianni yesterday? Did you have any strong um, Yeah, I think that, that yesterday he definitely seemed more comfortable, especially just being himself. Um, you know, he seems, you know, I mean, we don't know a whole lot about him yet, but he really just seems kind of like, not in a negative way, but just sort of like he's sort of a little bit simpler, you know, not like stupid, just, you know, just he is who he is. You know, he's not as like it's not as complicated to figure out who he is. And I think at the at the base of it, he's just a football coach who gets really excited about football. Um, and you could tell you could tell he was really, really passionate. Um, you know, he was like shouting about how excited he was to work with some of the young players. And, you know, he went off, off on this really long tangent about what makes a franchise quarterback special. Um, so see, I think it's kind of like, uh, like a little bit of whiplash coming from Doug, who I think was a little more, you know, like a little more calculated when he was talking to the media, not always the most calculated, but definitely, I think more than Nick Sirianni has been so far. I think that he, um, he's just, you know, he just is, I think he was just comfortable being himself yesterday. Um, and I think that, you know, I thought it was, I thought he did a lot better. Um, you know, I thought that the, you know, the reaction to his introductory press conference is a little overblown. I mean, um, I mean, I honestly I, I thought that, you know, there were moments in it when I was, when I noticed that he seemed nervous or was talking fast or, you know, had maybe gone off on a tangent, but I thought the reaction was way worse than I thought it was going to be um, like after the fact, but, 
But yeah, I know. I thought that the biggest yeah. thing that I took away from him was how passionate he was about the things he was talking about. I mean, at one point he was like telling us uh, how about his brother taking his high school team to the state championship, running like a, an offense that, you know, has been around for decades. Um, so, so yeah, go ahead. Wait. Yo, what the wing tea, yeah, wing or something. Like that? <laughs> tea, I'm sorry. very different. Right, yeah, yeah. Wing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I heard somebody compared him to Ted Lasso. Uh, I don't know if that's it, you know, but but he was very exuberant and very very earnest. I think, uh, and that is going to be interesting. I, I don't know how that's going to play here. Uh, it's not. You know, Philadelphia is um, is earnest doesn't always come off well in this market. But if you win, anything comes off, I guess. Uh, Doug was very Doug didn't right. engage a lot in his conferences. You know, it was a very calculated, like you said, uh, uh, persona that he he put out there. Uh, Nick is going to be a lot more uh, like a big puppy dog, you know, trying to sort of, you know, he's going to be emotional, I think. And uh, he might sometimes yeah. say more than he means to I, at times. It's going to be I, 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 I'm looking forward to this. I, I really want to see what he does, what he brings to the table with strategy wise. Uh, we don't know any of that stuff yet, you know, so uh yeah, I think that's uh, that's going to be something that will keep fans engaged uh, during this process anyway. The other thing with Nick, you, you mentioned that opening press conference and all the reactions at the time, we didn't know what was going to unfold with the team. If you remember back at the time Nick was introduced, we were still all thinking – that their priority was to patch things up mm-hmm. with Carson Wentz and we're expecting him to sort of further a narrative in that direction. But maybe he knew at, by then that they weren't going to be able to patch things up with Carson Wentz. And that was why he seemed so, that was one of the major criticisms. If you remember back to that was that, <laughs> He couldn't give any definition to what was going to happen with Wentz. It didn't seem like he had prepared to be asked about that. Uh, that now it kind of sure. comes off in a different light. Now that in Indianapolis, you know, he I think he still could have gotten out of that more adroitly than he did. But the things that we expected him to say, he couldn't say. I, I think because the situation wasn't what yeah. we thought it was at that point. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think that, you know, he was kind of put in an impossible situation where, you know, this is his first time speaking with the Philly reporters that he's probably heard a lot about. And his instructions are, you know, don't say anything about this, 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 and this, you know, make sure you dance around this. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it was definitely a tough situation. Yeah. So yesterday's, uh, zooms came in the middle of free agency and normally that would have been a big topic of any sort of eagles availability at this time of year but it really kind of wasn't uh the eagles rarely go 
huge in free agency. Uh, but this is probably the quietest I've ever witnessed them being in 20 years of covering the team. Um, and it's frustrating. I, I keep reading and thinking about free agents that might fit. Yeah. You know, and all of those guys keep getting signed. It just seems like I, we were waiting for a second wave. We might be waiting for like a third or fourth wave before the Eagles get to people that they're comfortable, you know, from a cap perspective, uh, bringing in. And I'm beginning to wonder if they're going to be able to fill gaping holes in their roster in any adequate way whatsoever, other than with rookies, which is not the way you want to do it. That's what, that's how bad teams, you know, have to, that's what bad teams have to do is, is draft players to start right away. Um, the Eagles have always prided themselves on not being in that boat, but they might be yeah, in that boat. I mean, when year. you look at like, their defensive secondary right now, it is scary. I mean, like you've got Darius Slay, you have Vontae Maddox, who you probably want to put back in the slot, or you might move him to safety because, I mean, you got nothing at safety. I mean, Rodney McLeod's going to be out for at least the beginning of the season, I would assume. Um, you know, Jalen Mills is headed to New England. I mean, Kayvon Wallace and Marcus Epps, I mean, they both played last year, but I don't know if you want both of them back there on, you know, uh, the on in week one. Um and, you know, I mean, you, you just don't have a slot corner right now. So I think they need to bring in two, three, four defensive backs. I mean, like, they, I, I don't think that it, it would be an option for them in the first round unless they traded back um, to go corner or safety. And, you know, there's some good second round corners, but I mean, depending on what they do in the first round, that might not be, you know, that feasible either. So it's just a situation that bad teams find themselves in where they've got gaping holes at several positions. And, you know, we learned last year, it's not a good idea to go into the draft with a gaping hole at a position because it pigeonholes you in teams know what, what you, uh, what you're going to do. And it's also, you know, it puts a lot of pressure on whoever you draft because you, a lot of rookies, aren't ready to step in day one. I mean, yep. you know, I think that if they had drafted Justin Jefferson, we're not talking about this, but, you know, a lot of times you draft somebody like Jalen Rager who might take a year or two. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's going to be interesting. I mean, I've been doing a lot of the, you know, thinking and writing about which free agents would fit. And I think that, um, and I wrote about this, you know, like Howie Roseman always, you know, goes back to that 2016 class, you know, Brandon Brooks, Rodney McLeod, Nigel Bradham, but those are rare. You know, it's hard to, to get long-term yeah. starters with upside who are going to be value contracts for you in free agency. Um, I think that's like the type of player they're looking for, but I'm not sure if they'll find them. Brandon Brooks was a top-of-the-market guard as guards went that year. You know, they didn't wait around for Brandon Brooks yeah. for three or four weeks to take a low-ball offer. I mean, he was – somebody they targeted and went out and got, you know, and I think McLeod might've been, if I'm not mistaken, McLeod might've been kind of the same way. Uh, I mean, you can get guys that they got, they did do some things like that with, uh, you know, LeGarrette Blunt and people like that, but Timmy Jernigan, uh, but it, you need to, you need to find if you're going to find a good long-term starter, it's yeah. probably not going to be in the bargain bin, as you said. 
Uh, I found myself thinking yesterday when Kyle Fuller got cut, well, can you just restructure yeah. a couple more contracts and, you know, go out there and, you know, give yourself uh, two good corners? Uh, I don't know. I Probably not. You know, the other thing you have to wrestle with is this isn't going to be – ever since the Super Bowl, we've kind of basked in this aura of the Eagles being a prime destination, uh, and they have been. You know, players have said that coming here, but sure. I, that's yeah. probably not true now, frankly. But it's fun in the team four eleven and one. I Kyle Fuller probably has. Yeah, I mean, mother idea. Yeah, and the, the other thing to keep in mind when you think about Fuller, I mean, just in general, the, they're going to have a different scheme to run this year, and like Fuller would be a great fit in like a cover two, two high safety scheme. And I think that it's just like that's the other thing about the secondary that's so scary is like you know Kayvon Wallace like mostly played in the box last year like John Gannon's going to put him in a like a like a too high split safety like they don't have the personnel to run the scheme that they're they're planning on running right now so at least on the back end so that's yeah and I was thinking you know I I fully expect them to take a corner in the second round. Because that, like you said, that's a good spot. It's a good corner class, and they can get a promising player there. But do you throw that guy up there opposite yeah. Darius Slay? I mean, that's tough. It really is. I, I don't know. I, I guess we'll see. Um, but, uh, yeah, free agency has been sparse for the Eagles thus far, and we've seen guys signed all around the league that yeah. could have helped here, I think, and, it's uh, it's a wonder that they put themselves a team that's been over the years very proud of its salary cap management has mismanaged this one terribly. Uh, the thirty three point eight million dollar hole created by Carson Wentz, it'll be over after one year, but that one year is going to be painful. It really is, and it and it really isn't over if if it keeps you from signing a good free agent who could have been sure. here for several years you know, miss that window of opportunity because you're carrying around that 33.8 million, then it's not over after one year. That and, you know, all these restructures, you know, I mean, some of them will make sense, but I mean, there might be another Alshon Jeffrey style restructuring in there. You know, I mean, you, you do pay for it in the the coming years because you're pushing a lot of salary off of guys who might, you know, decline in their play. So. You are, but. I am not concerned about that because among the flurry of things that happened yesterday was this $10 million, $10 billion uh, TV deal that the uh, NFL is supposedly uh, about to, to strike. And that's going to just make the cap. Uh, I don't know where the, ca- the cap's going to go way up. And I think you can push this money into the future and, and never worry about it it's too much. Uh, but, uh, you know, normally sure. that would Yeah, it's be a really good point. Concern, I mean, certainly. and I mean, the, they sort of were hoping that the TV deal was going to bail them out of this year. But I mean, hopefully, knock on wood, we don't have any more unforeseen pandemics uh, tanking the salary cap. <laughs> so, yeah. So I think, uh, EJ, that's about everything we need to cover for today. I hope uh, when we talk to fans again, we have some. News about Eagles yeah. acquisitions. That would be interesting. 
Maybe they'll <laughs> they give up everything they have. He has a no trade clause, so yeah. I don't know why he would uh, including uh, that for, yeah. for Philly. <laughs> Everybody have a great weekend, and uh, we'll be back with you soon. Uh, read our stories. They're on inquire.com. We have an excellent lineup today. I think we hit all the angles perfectly from Thursday's flurry. And uh, we'll have more stuff for you. Talk to you soon.